Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Dave Cunningham. For over 25 years, in one way or another, my guest has been working with businesses and nonprofits in our community. He and his firm, 8020Info, work with the decision makers and those organizations to come up with a plan and a strategy to move forward together. That seems like a vague description, but let me get him to clarify for us. His name is Rob Wood. Rob, welcome to the program. Well, nice to be here, Dave. How are you doing in this pandemic? <laughs> I'm uh, surviving better than most, I think. Uh, <laughs> I've got my own office. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I'm pretty self-sufficient here, and uh, my wife is taking great care of me. So. That's perfect. Perfect. Here's where I want to start. Uh, if a business person wants to increase the profile of their business, one of the things they might do, and someone like you might tell them to do this, is to develop an elevator speech, which mm -hmm. basically describes the business that they're in. So what's your elevator speech? My elevator speech, what we do really is we help people think together to develop strategic plans. And uh, that means that they have to make choices. They have to know where they're going to go. They have to understand how their values drive that. And they need some action to, to make the whole thing happen. Um, and I think of myself a little bit of, uh, as an architect of uh, the dynamics of, of uh, strategic change in, in social networks. So uh, that comes along with it. But yeah, our, our main thing is we help people think together to build consensus-driven strategies. So. Now, what part of your business are you most passionate about? It, it has changed, I would say, over the years, Dave. Um, in the beginning, I was, I was, and still am, very fascinated by change and by how people make their choices of where they want to go and why they want to do something. Uh, since then, what, what gives me probably the most joy and pleasure in my practice um, is working with the people. I have an opportunity, I think that's rare, to work with scores of people every year. Um, we might work with, oh, 30 or 40 organizations in a year. And most of them have boards and executive directors or senior leadership teams. So I get to work with some really fabulous people. And uh, there's a number of them that I've worked with, you know, over 20 years. You know, every three years or five years, they're coming back to freshen or do a new strategic plan. So I get to see them and, and then they move to a new organization and I see them again. But the people are a big part of it, for sure. What we want to do in the program is give people a sense of what you do. But before we describe what you're doing now, I'd like to get some sense as to how you came to this position. What sorts of things did you do before you decided to open up your own shop? Well, Dave, it's a dark and mangled past. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it will be suitable for yeah, this that's uh, why it podcast. should be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I have kind of an interesting uh, uh, mix of things. If I go back, uh, I'll just start, say, at Queens. I, I grew, grew up really in Newburgh, went to high school in Napanee, went to Queens. And I started out, I was a math major. And they say that mathematicians are drawn to one of three areas. One is numbers. Uh, one is geometry or space and visualizations. And the third one is change. And that was kind of my thing. I I, I love calculus. I love the, the rate of change. I love uh, probability and statistics. 
um, all of that kind of background. And then I switched to the School of Business partway through, and I was editing the Queen's Journal and doing all that kind of stuff. And through the, the journal, I met the local MP, uh, PE, who was Keith Norton at the time. <laughs> and instead of going to Smith Falls and uh, writing computer programs to rotate, uh, optimize the rotation of chocolate bars on country uh, <laughs> uh, uh, store shelves, um, Keith uh, invited me to become uh, an executive assistant at Queen's Park. So uh, down I went and he was soon appointed uh, Minister of Community and Social Services. Uh, and I worked with him for two years there, which, uh, which was great and built on my kind of media interests and communications background. Uh, but also the, the strategy part was always there. And then I thought, oh, you know, I've had enough of Toronto. I'm a small town boy. And I ended up in Prescott, um, editing the Prescott Journal and, uh, and troubleshooting for their chain of papers. Uh, the journal happened to be the printer for the Queen's Journal. And so that's how I made that connection. Then came back, uh, formed a company with my sister, Kathy, called Wood and Wood Communications. And away we went. Our first project was to um, uh, was involved with community relations and communications for uh, OHIP when it moved to Kingston. So that's how far back we go. Um, and, and one thing led to another. So we had that. There was a marketing research component to our firm um, and so forth. And uh, then at a point, I took a little bit of a sabbatical. I worked in the, at the school board, at the Frontenac County School Board, now Limestone, as their director of communications. And then moved from, and I was also teaching a little bit at St. Lawrence College on top. Then uh, John Wright from uh, uh, Chum uh, persuaded me to get into the radio business. And I think that's when I first met you, Dave. <laughs> and I later became general manager of the four stations, two in Kingston and two in, in Brockville. And so, so around that time, I, I bought out my sister's shares and changed the name to 8020 Info, the idea that 20% of what you do is 80% of your results. And uh, that got me going uh, in the practice. And we, we started out more broadly, you know, it's hard. I was just looking this up uh, uh, this week uh, because we were starting in, in uh, 2000. We started at 8020 Info and it was going to be an online kind of consulting business that we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think to put that in, in perspective, that was just a couple of years, actually a year and a half after the great ice storm when I was in media. <laughs> I remember that well. <laughs> yeah. And if you think back, that's still uh, only one year after Google went public. That's how, how early in I was on this. Uh, uh, Facebook started four years later. Uh, Twitter started six years later. But So I was too early, and I lost quite a lot of money trying <laughs> to make that online consulting thing work. But, but we knew that people didn't want technology between them. Uh, they wanted the person, and so we uh, switched it to a, a, a strategy consulting practice and uh, have been going great guns ever since for that. Was there any particular uh, person that you ran into, business that you were working with that basically cemented the decision that you should form your own shop? Was there any particular event or was it just something that worked its way over time? Um, I would say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not fully a believer in all those profiling type things, but every time I do one and they ask, what's your style? Um, I score really, really high on two dimensions. One is conscientiousness. Some might say a bit of a perfectionist. And the other part is about independence. And so I, I'm just by nature. Um, and I like working independently. And, uh, you know, when I was at Chum, we had, what, 70 or 80 people working there. 
but Jim Waters, uh, you know, and I got along great. And, uh, but, but he wasn't on my shoulder all the time. I had a lot of independence. He said, treat your people well and uh, serve the community and you'll be fine. And we touch base twice a year and away we went. So mm-hmm. I really like that kind of relationship. So I think those things are in my nature. Um, but in terms of uh, the current practice, this gives me a lot of independence and a chance to get it perfect without someone saying, no, just kick it out the door and, you know, production driven. So. When 8020 began, can you uh, give me a sense as to your first client? No, and OHIP was when you and your sister were working together. Yeah, that was the first business. Yeah. Which, now, and we sold the research to Enterprise Canada at a later point. But my, my, one of my first uh, clients has, uh, with 8020 goes back uh, an awful long way. And I, <laughs> I'm not sure I can remember exactly who was the, in the first group. But, but our practice has ranged across. Um, uh, you know, five or six major sectors. So uh, we're, we're active in the arts, generally speaking. Uh, we're, we work in education. We work with clients in the social services a lot, um, in healthcare, in economics, and with probably downtown Kingston was one of the early clients. Um, they've We've done several of their priority setting sessions. Most recently did some work with them in governance. Um, and we've worked with municipalities a lot. So, Would you say a good chunk of your business is felicitation? Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. I, I think most people would think there are sort of two types of consultants. Uh, and I resisted even the term consultant for the longest year. And I had all these convoluted descriptions. And people say they'd listen to it patiently. And then they say, oh, you're a consultant. So, but there are two types. One, one is the type that's sort of deep expertise in uh, a certain kind of area. Uh, when I work with, um, I was a co-consultant, a minor co-consultant with uh, Dwight on the implementation of the PeopleSoft programs at Queens. I was more on some of the, the change and, and, and uh, communications part. But if they had a particular aspect of the software, you know, the, the project had 10,000 lines of tasks and code. But if they had one piece that needed an expert, they'd fly them in from Austin or from Princeton, and they were the world expert on that one little bit of software. They were the rock star on that. The type of work I do is not so much that because we're focused on helping the boards or the senior leaders um, actually make and develop the strategy. So we facilitate their thinking. We may help them do research. We may provide information for them. We may give them tools and templates and because we've seen these issues before with other clients. Um, we help them, we facilitate the discussions. Um, and then quite often when it comes to implementation, there are communications aspects to that as well. So there are a lot of, of different steps uh, with what we do. At this particular point in your career, do you find that people are coming to you or do you still have to market yourself to the community at large? Um, at this stage, I, you know, I can say that pretty much it's answer the phone. <laughs> In yeah. the early stages, it was quite different. You know, uh, sometimes it was making a case so that people would understand the value that you could provide for them. Um, but in almost all cases, um, when we've done work for a client on a strategic plan, they've come back. So, you know, I have some clients I've done eight, six, seven, eight strategic plans over 20 years. You know, so they come back quite often. They send a friend, um, uh, depending on the size of the project. Uh, there may be an RFP um, uh, that we do. One of the larger ones, which uh, 
which on our bid financially was $200 uh, less than the uh, other good competitor. But th that was one uh, for the community, which we loved. It was the workforce development and in-migration strategy. So some years ago, the city, um, uh, I guess it's five or six years ago, um, the city identified the need for our community to build the talent, the workforce that's here in, in terms of skills, in terms of numbers and so forth. And so uh, we were the lead consultant on it. We had a team of four on our side and we worked with the city staff as well. And, and it was a new kind of a model because we were bringing together the senior leaders of interest on this file from all the major employers. So that included, you know, uh, VPs from Queens and from St. Lawrence, and it included people like United Way and, and social agencies, uh, it included the base, it included all these major groups in town. Um, uh, and we brought them together to develop uh, some strategies. Um, we probably had focus groups and interviews with 150 to 200 people, so different formats and so forth. And it led to a number of interesting problems first. You know, it might be people who can't move to the city because they have dual careers. And so one person has a job offer, the other one can't find a job. Or it could be because we're an institutional town, somebody's kind of perking along in their career, but then the next step for them is blocked because the person above them in the hierarchy is going to be there for years. So, so looking at secondment so that you could continue to grow your skills and get uh, a development by moving somewhere else. We saw lots of young talent coming out into the community, for instance, and uh, they needed that first chance. And we, we found that um, a lot of nonprofits were very good first employers. They were looking for new talent. They're, they're good with people. And, uh, and so we started building some um, uh, relationships so that there could be a career path, say out of Queens or St. Lawrence locally, or even RMC in, in one case, uh, to go from there. And we got into analytics that you need, and we, we got into uh, talent uh, uh, attraction uh, strategies as well. But all those groups came together. We finished our part of the study and facilitating the development of those 12 strategies. And then the city established several focus or uh, working groups. Probably 70 people from the community were involved in in the implementation of those afterwards. So, so, so that's an example. That was one we had to bid, but all of the rest, you know, if I, you know, almost all the rest are ring, when are you free? We need to get this done. So. Repeat customers sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, or referrals, all. which is yeah. always the best kind of call to get. I'm interested in, in something. Let's go back to the beginning of contact with a particular business or nonprofit group. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. typically is the reaction from other members on the board or people that may be working for that particular company when they bring someone like you in? It, the, the reactions vary quite a bit depending on the history of the organization. Um, if it's an organization where there is some tension between the board and the staff, then quite often the staff are nervous. Um, I've had, in fact, we have a kind of standard handout that we develop because, uh, we, you know, we had a number of municipalities. I can't remember whether it was Laurentian Valley or Greater Madawaska or Guelph Hermosa. But anyway, uh, half the counselors at that time uh, weren't convinced that this was such a good investment of taxpayers' money. And so we developed a kind of an outline to explain what we do and, and uh, how it can be of value to, to them. And then we usually go through a setup meeting where we kind of work through our approach and philosophy to uh, strategy development. Uh, we, many people would perhaps be familiar with uh, the SWOT method, which is strengths, 
weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. But um, it's a 50-year-old method and it had its time, but we don't use that. We start boards off by focusing on what is the choice in the road? What, what's, uh, you know, Yogi Berra had a, had a great quote. He said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. But that made sense because the road at going to his house rejoined afterwards, so it didn't really matter which way you went. But, but whenever you're making strategy and boards ha- have some tough decisions often, uh, you know, they come to serious fo- forks in the road. It could be around a substantive change to their organization. It could be a big barrier they're trying to overcome. It may be an opportunity that they have a chance to, uh, to seize. But which path do you choose? And uh, sometimes it's tough because you're afraid of making the wrong choice. So, so we usually start at that point. Um, strategy is always framed by your vision for the future. What difference do you want to make in the world? Your mission, what's your role in it? Uh, what are the values that you bring? And I don't mean all the nice-to-be values. What are the ones that are truly pivotal in, in which way you would go? For instance, I've, I've had a couple of arts groups, and, and they are, are dedicated to paying professional fees. Well, as soon as you make that value decision, that's going to influence your budget. The number of shows you can do are affected, like all these factors. So, And then we get into those choices and exploring them. This may be a side issue, but I think you might be the person to ask. I don't know if it's true or not, and I just put myself in the middle of this, is that reading does not seem to be something that people do as much now as they may have done in the past, sitting down to whether it's to read a book or to read a report that someone like you might generate to give to the board of directors and the, and the people on the board would say, okay, this is a lovely looking report, but I don't have the time to read it. And all mm-hmm. the information is in there. How do you deal with that kind of circumstance or is it still an issue? Well, it's an issue to, to a degree. Um, I, I probably run into that a little bit less when I'm working with a committed board that really wants to dig into the topics and the material we're covering, covering is what they are developing, right? We're doing it together. So they have a stake in it. But what I do find is that, and we've adjusted the structure of our reports. Uh, one is that we uh, almost make it like an accordion so that um, you can have your, your 20 page report, your full plan, but then there would be a collapsible version where we take out the drill down in the background so that it would translate easily into a PowerPoint presentation or a website and so forth. We call it the communications version. Mm-hmm. Um, we also write our content in a way that um, it's easily scanned. Um, and sometimes that involves bolding. I, some of my associates like Harvey Schachter are still you know, not entirely comfortable with bolding word, keywords in the middle of a, of a paragraph. But when people are going back, they need to be able to scope right in quickly to get it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a combination of writing in a tiered and structured way, so it's easy to scan, but also having the detail. So, for instance, if we do a vision, we might have one, one statement that's 50 words or 30 words long, but then we might attach two pages that explicate that, that explain what it means in practice, so that mm-hmm. two years from now when there's a new ED and half the board has changed, that they will be able to go back and say, what were they thinking? <laughs> Dave, were, was Rob smoking something at that time or what? No, and that will uh, build it out. And it's also certain pieces. We also do it in sections. So you can pull out a section. There might be a section that's really important to staff. So we would write the extra material so it can almost be pulled out as a two-pager and the group working on the implementation can 
just work with that without having to deal with the whole. Now you've worked with small businesses, you've worked with nonprofits. Is there a difference between the two groups when you're working with them? Um, yeah, um, there is, although they're more alike than most people realize. And sometimes I make the joke that, that the difference between small business and nonprofit is that at least the nonprofit breaks even. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I've been a small business before and I've been down to the last kind of, you know, $2 looking for, <laughs> looking for cash flow. So I know what that, that's like. Um, you know, they're both trying to make a difference in the world. Um, nonprofits tend to be more geared socially or health or arts or something like that. Small business, um, you know, are often characterized as going for the bucks, but, but not really. Um, I find small business people really are trying to do something that they do to serve their, their community, their world, their customers. They're very oriented that way. Um, the small business people tend to be more um, hurry up, short term. Uh, small businesses tend not to have budgets. Whereas the, uh, you know, a nonprofit would probably have to apply for a grant. So it's a much slower mm -hmm. and longer, uh, more involved. Uh, the language is different. So the language that a, a private sector business person would use is often quite different. Um, or the type of emphasis may be different. But, um, I, you know, at their core, they're similar. As we record this in the first week of February 2021, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. How has that affected the way you do business, aside from sitting with that lovely scene behind you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, you know, compared to, to uh, individuals who are families, you know, who have kids, people who didn't. Have, I had a home office. I was working from a home office. We have 900 square feet in, in our place that's dedicated to the practice. And I had my computer. All I did was order a stand-up desk and a mic so I could do uh, Zoom. And, and I do a ton of facilitation on Zoom. So I've had to up my game in terms of Zoom facilitation. It's quite different from in-person. Uh, the engagement is different. The length of time people can stay engaged is shorter. Uh, so we break up our sessions after 40, 45 minutes so people can have screen breaks. We have little quick polls and things that engage and, and are fun and go from there. And uh, so that's adjusted. But otherwise, I've just kept charging along. It was more my clients who, who were discombobulated and said, mm -hmm. you know, we're right into right now uh, uh, working with Queen's HR department, for instance, on their plan. They were set to go in March last year. And then when the, the, it hit, they had to attend to other things because suddenly the workforce at Queens was working from home, many of them. And so yeah. Now, community involvement, giving back is something that's important to you. Why is it important? Well, it's important to me, both in my work and in my volunteer roles. And sometimes I don't really make a distinction is because I, I my core passion probably is how much I love Kingston. And I'd like to see it be the best. I, I remember a time uh, um, at the time I was chair of the group Imagine Kingston and Caroline Davis, from, who was VP at Queens and Finance and Men. And we, we had a quick lunch and she said to me, like, what do you hope to accomplish? And in that conversation, it crystallized for me that I, I really have a great hope that Kingston can be one of those very special, smaller communities that, that does incredible things in the world. You know, when you think of Florence during the Medici period of art, or you think of Stratford-upon-Avon in the, in the highlight of, of Shakespeare, et cetera, et cetera, smaller communities that, that um, do amazing things. And I think Kingston is perfectly positioned and is doing that as we speak as leadership in all kinds of different areas. 
um, uh, you know, whether it's the, the chief of police that's uh, guiding the Ontario, whether it's a director on the school board who's chairing the, the national uh, board of trustees, I mean, we have all this leadership. So, so for me, I, I just love Kingston and my volunteer work is part and parcel, whether um, I'm, uh, you know, long-term chair of, of a Queen's Family Health Team or whether it's Compassionate Kingston or whether it's Speak Kingston, which is for smart growth or whether it's the social value investment fund uh, from the students are doing, whether I'm vice chair and coming in as the chair of the community foundation. Um, all of these things are dedicated to making Kingston like the greatest place in the world. And that's where my love is. So It's a great place to end on. I appreciate the time you've given us this afternoon, Rob, and I uh, wish you all the best. Thank you so much. It's been fun chatting with you. Theme music for the program is Stasis Oasis, a tune written and performed by Kingston musician Tim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of our episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast Facebook page. This is Dave Cunningham from Kingston, Ontario. Thank you for listening. Until next time.